welcome to Grace Life Church Podcast. If you would like any more information about us, please visit our website, gracelife.com.au. week of uh, Becoming Rich, our series Becoming Rich, and you know, the past four weeks we've heard a lot of wonderful teaching about pursuing God and not money, about generosity, about tithing, about stewardship versus ownership, contentment. We've been challenged by things like how much is enough, and about our attitudes towards money that reveals what's in our heart and where our trust really is. So what I'd like to do today is is, um, have a look from scripture at how do we grow in this grace of giving? How do we grow into all these wonderful things that we have been talking about over the last few weeks? How do we learn to trust God for our security rather than trusting our money? Would you pray with me, Father? Lord, we wanted to continue to sit at your feet and that your Holy Spirit would take what is important for each one of us and quicken it to us. Lord, that we would be changed, that we would uh, be able to more fully enter into the wonderful opportunity to give. Father, we thank you. You know, I believe that the timeless, there's a timeless truth that we become rich in proportion to our response to the opportunities that God sends our way regarding finances or what finances provide. And that isn't a one-off event. It's an ongoing journey of learning to trust God as he presents opportunities to grow in the grace of giving. You know, we we might not know what the final result is going to be as we progress on that journey, except that we do know that his overall plan is that we become more like Jesus. And because of that, we will increasingly experience the kind of things that Jesus experienced. Let me just share a little bit of my journey. You know, we've been looking at uh, our key texts for these last few weeks has been 1 Timothy chapter 6. And... uh, Verse 8 says, And having food and clothing with these, we will be content. That's probably fairly challenging just in and of itself. You know, my husband and I um, uh, became Christians. Uh, He in 1980, I was in 1981, same day, February the 1st, a year apart. And um, we got married before I was one year old as a Christian, so we've had lots of growing together. And um, it's been a, an interesting and a challenging journey. Uh, we left um, Australia and went to New Zealand, where my husband is from, um, with the intention of going to Bible college, only to find that the Bible college we had thought we were going to had closed. And God decided that we were going to be growing through the local church, through local church ministry. And so we started a tent maker lifestyle. Uh, basically, my husband doing... Uh, uh, he was a builder, doing what he needed to do to meet the, the, the bills that came into, into our home. Um, I was a, a mum with one, two and three and then four children. Um, I had my fourth when our first was five and a quarter. So I was a fairly busy mum at home, um, but fully involved in the life of the church as well. And um, 
you know, God gave us opportunities in those days to learn some things that he knew we needed to know for the future. And what I would say is, you know, the opportunities that God gives us in life, we never know. We don't know necessarily what he's preparing us for. We sat down one evening in our home um, to a table that was set with no food. Um, the night before, I'd served porridge as our evening meal because that's what we had left in our home. And we sat down with our children. We gave thanks for the meal. And, of course, children being children, you say, I was thinking, well, where's the food? You know, where's the food? And I had this real sense that it was coming. And I just said, it's coming. We're giving, we're giving thanks for the food. And... After we'd given thanks, there was a knock at the door. I went outside and there was a box. And somebody, um, and there was a fully prepared meal, hot, ready. And I didn't think it took me very many seconds to get to the door, but I saw nobody. We brought that meal in and we, um, we shared that meal as a family and talked about Jehovah Jireh, our provider. We couldn't explain how that meal came to be outside of God provided that for us. He also provided a box of groceries. And in the same period of time, we had a strong sense that we were to open our home every week to be hospitable, to have people in, be it from the senior pastor to the people in our life group to anybody that, that God led across our paths that um, once a week we would have a meal. And um, you know, God provided us a trailer load of sweet corn that literally was just dumped outside our back door. And so as a family, we shucked all this sweet corn and um, we were babysitting a commercial-sized freezer for some friends who had gone onto the mission field. And so we literally, we filled this, this freezer. And so week after week after week, our hospitality meal was baked potato with cheese sauce and sweet corn out of the freezer. Now, that might not sound very exciting to you, but it was actually really exciting for us. Um, our kids still say that it was one of the best meals of their week, so that probably gives you a little understanding of kind of where we were living at the time. But, you know, we, so we learnt not only that God provided, but we learnt to be content with what he provided. We learnt that while variety is great, it's not necessary it's not always necessary. And it would be easy, and we even did it of ourselves, judged ourselves about why we were in this position. Because we believed that we were in the will of God. We believed that we were doing what he wanted us to do. But we had comments, like we were irresponsible, to subject our family to these kind of circumstances, that we'd mismanaged money, the money that came into our home, that God was judging us because we were out of his will. Um, and as young Christians, those aren't the easiest things to stand up against. But, you know, Hebrews 11 says that there are people of faith who receive in this life what it is that they are looking for. And there are people who didn't receive. 
and they were all equally heroes of faith. They were equally heroes of faith. And I just felt to, to, to say that, you know, let's be careful that we don't, we're not quick to judge people based on the circumstances in which they find themselves. Because God can be doing something that is unique to them in preparing them for where he's sending them. Well, we didn't know at the time. But within four years of that time, as a family, so with uh, four young children, my husband and I went uh, to Uganda. And we were on the, that mission field in Uganda for, for a nine-year period of time. And in that time, we made the choice to live on local food, unlike many missionaries that were there who were, were able to go to Kenya and um, buy Western food. We didn't. We lived literally on beans and sweet potato and um, what's called posho, which is a maize meal. Um, and that was served in many different ways, but it was the same. If you ask my kids about that food, now that's a bit different. <laughs> so it was repetitive. It was cheap. And why was that important? Because God sent us to a group of people that were unwanted, that were outcast, mainly women and children, who were either widows truly or widows because there was, their husband had left them. And many of these women were having to prostitute themselves every night in order to get a meal for their family. Now, I'd only had to experience that once, sitting and wondering how I was going to provide a meal for my family. I had a little, tiny, tiny insight into what it is to be a mum and not to be able to provide something. And it's one thing standing in church and saying, you know, that's not the way to live, that's not the way God wants you to live. But if you're a mum and you've got six kids and that's all that you can see to do, their mums would sacrifice themselves and do that. You know, we lived on $1,000 a month for a family of six, which over here isn't that much. But over there, we were rich. We were so rich. And by living at the level that, that God had enabled us to live, we were able to set many, many women up in micro-businesses whereby they would come, we would give them a, a, a relatively small amount of money and they would do things like get up at four o'clock in the morning and wait on the roads while the farmers brought produce in and they would buy some produce, wholesale if you like, and then they would go, they would set up a mat, they would set up their piles of tomatoes or beans or whatever the produce was, and they would sit there all day and they would sell. And by faithfully doing that at the end of the day, they would put aside the money they needed for the next day to do that same thing, and they would have money to buy food for, for their family. We were among a group of people that were chronically sick with malaria. We set up a medical clinic, like a at-home, in-our-backyard kind of medical clinic. And um, 
you know, could meet the needs of people there. AIDS, uh, in our first term in Uganda, um, which was in Lira, which was in the north, 40% uh, of our congregation died of AIDS during that period of time. AIDS was absolutely rife in Uganda. Um, and God had prepared us by us taking the opportunities that he had given us in New Zealand uh, to, do, to, to live some, uh, uh, in a way that's different. And what I'd encourage us today is to look at what are the opportunities that God is giving us to grow and to become rich. Because as you've probably heard, we didn't become rich materially. In fact, just the opposite. But we became rich in knowing who God is, how God provides, and how God can use us as a conduit. You know, that scripture said, having food and drink, uh, sorry, having food and clothing, uh, we'll be content. We had our four children and um, uh, we lived in a, um, a three-bedroom home, so my father-in-law, my husband and I, and our four children. And um, the Lord said to us one day that we were to have just four sets of clothing. And so we sat down as a family and discussed that and uh, had a sort out. And the children, uh, with some guidance, <laughs> were able to keep four sets of clothing. And my husband and I did the same and the rest we gave away. And we went to church the next Sunday and somebody handed us a huge garbage bag of clothes. So we just checked with God, like, what, what this was about. And he said, I trust you to be a conduit. I trust you to be a conduit. And so my kids had a great time. We sorted out all these clothes. And um, if the children saw something there that they wanted, they could do a swap. So they could take what they wanted. They had to take something out of their drawers and put back into it. And then it was passed on. And at that time in, in Auckland, we were ministering in an area of West Auckland where um, things, there were, there, things were really hard for a lot of families. And from that day, from that day that we cut back to four sets of clothing, week after week after week, bags of clothes were put into our hands. That hadn't happened before that. It hadn't happened before that. So not only was that a blessing then, but when it came time to go to Uganda and we were allowed to take a suitcase each, which included bedding and towels and books to homeschool my kids, um, it was really useful that we didn't need to take lots and lots of clothes. You know, again, you know, God was, God was preparing us. You know, in 1 Timothy 6, verses 11 and 12, it says, Pursue righteousness, godliness, faith, love, patience, gentleness. Fight the good fight of faith and lay hold on eternal life. You know, for me, those words mean become rich. Become rich in what really counts. If you will, I'd like you to join me this morning on a journey of a couple of other people who were on this journey of becoming rich. And we're going to look at 1 Kings chapter 17. It's about Elijah and a widow in Zarephath. And Jesus spoke of, of um, this widow in Luke chapter 4. 
But I want to give us a little bit of background as to what happened here. And we're going to start in 1 Kings chapter 16, verses 30 to 33. It says, Now Ahab, the son of Omri, did evil in the sight of the Lord more than all who were before him. And it came to pass, as though it had been a trivial thing for him to walk in the sins of Jeroboam, the sons of Nebat, that he took as a wife Jezebel, the daughter of Ethbaal, king of the Sidonians. And he went and served Baal and worshipped him. Then he set up an altar for Baal in the temple of Baal, which he'd built in Samaria. And Ahab made a wooden image, or an Asherah, which was the, a wooden image of a Canaanite goddess. And Ahab did more to provoke the Lord God of Israel to anger than all the kings of Israel who were before him. So that kind of sets the picture of what happened just before we get into chapter 17. It was a time of great spiritual darkness in Israel. I just wonder how many of the opportunities that come in our lives are in times of darkness, in times of hardship, that very often the lessons the, uh, that God would teach us come out of quite difficult times. You know, I... I'm a word person, I love words, and I love names. And um, so as I looked at this page, I thought, Lord, I can read what you're saying. What, what else are you saying beyond that? So we have Ahab, a king who provoked God more than any other. Ahab's name means God is my relative. God is my relative. We have lots of relatives. God was one of many in his life. Yahweh was not his sole God. Jezebel probably means, where is the prince? And that was a ritual question spoken in ceremonies honouring Baal. Ethbaal, her father, literally his name means with Baal. He was a priest king in Sidon and... His name meant that he was with Baal. And they were the, he was the king of Tyre and Sidon. Tyre means a rock and Sidon means fortified. And Sidon was the seat of Baal. So into this place where a king of Israel has married uh, somebody who was a devoted follower of Baal uh, and is now... Uh, has erected um, a temple to Baal and is worshipping, God sends a prophet, Elijah. Elijah's name means, my God is Yahweh. Very different to Ahab. He had one God and his God was Yahweh. And if we look at 1 Kings 17 verse 1, it says, And Elijah the Tishbite of the inhabitants of Gilead said to Ahab, as the Lord God of Israel lives before whom I stand, there shall not be dew nor rain these years except at my word. And we know from other parts of scripture that there was no rain for three and a half years. You know, the significance of this prophecy of no rain becomes apparent when we understand that those who worship Baal believe that Baal controlled the rain. And in effect, Elijah cut to the heart of Baalism and challenged their so-called God, proclaiming that the Lord God of Israel proclaimed the weather. We then see for the next verses, and it says, Then the word of the Lord came to Elijah, 
and basically God says, you better get out of here now, go away. Ahab is not ha happy about this. And, um, and so Elijah obeys. So he sends him to the brook Cherith. Cherith means a cutting or a separation. He separated Elijah off from uh, those who were chasing him and he sent ravens to feed him in the morning and at night while he drank from the brook. That's pretty divine provision. Uh, you know, I, I must say, I have never had a raven come in and drop my food off. I, I don't think that's what happened that day because um, I think it was a bit big. But, you know, <laughs> it was a big box. And uh, I don't, yeah. But God sent ravens. Your God himself supernaturally provided for Elijah in this situation. But it says that over time the brook dried up because there had been no rain. And so now we get to 1 Kings chapter 17 and we're going to look at verses 8 to 16. And there are two key people who were presented with God-given opportunities to grow in their knowledge of becoming rich. And their responses are the key. So 1 Kings 17 verses 8 and 9 says, And the word of the Lord came to him, and that's to Elijah, saying, Arise, go to Zarephath, which belongs to Sidon, and dwell there. See, I have commanded a widow there to provide for you. Isn't that like God? He says, okay, I want you to go and dwell right in the middle of this area that is committed to Baal. And, um, and you're to go to Zarephath. Now, Zarephath was a coastal city that was between Tyre and Sidon. Um, it was a city that belonged to Sidon, and Sidon was the centre of Baal worship. So we can be pretty sure that Zarephath was given over to Baal worship. And Elijah was told to live there. You know, it reminds us that we are to live in the world, but we're not to be part of it. We're not to be part of it. You know, in the Young's Concordance, it says that the meaning of the word Zarephath is place of refining place of refining and it was a place of refining for two people firstly for Elijah God told said to Elijah I have commanded in his sovereignty God had commanded an unnamed Gentile widow to provide for Elijah and this was a place of refining for Elijah because God had provided for him directly but now Elijah had to trust that a Gentile widow in a Baal-worshipping nation would be obedient to God's command. So what does he do? Well, verse 10 says, So he arose and went to Zarephath. No question. No argument. Because Elijah my God is Yahweh, really couldn't do anything else. His name revealed his identity. His name revealed his identity. He was a worshipper of Yahweh. And therefore his actions were a direct overflow of that. He obeyed. As I was looking at that, I thought, so what about me, Lord? You know, for those of us who say that Jesus Christ is our Lord and Saviour, we have a name that reveals our identity. We're children of God. We're Christians. We're followers of Jesus. 
what's our response when we hear the word of the Lord? Do we trust in God with all our heart and lean not on our, our understanding exactly as Elijah did? It just said he went. God said go. He obeyed. Let's continue. Um, so we're continuing in verse 10. So when Elijah came to the gate of the city, indeed a widow was there gathering sticks. And he called to her and said, Please bring me a little, cup, a little water in a cup that I may drink. And as she was going to get it, he called to her and said, Please bring me a morsel of bread in your hand. So she said, As the Lord your God lives, I do not have bread, only a handful of flour in a bin and a little oil in a jar, and see, I am gathering sticks that I may go in and prepare it for myself and my son, that we may eat it and die. You know, the first thing I want us to see today is that no one is excluded from God's opportunities. No one is excluded from God's opportunities. In his sovereignty, God commands. And no one is excluded from God's commands. You know, we need to look no further than the commands that God has given through Scripture to find many opportunities to grow in grace and become rich in the things that really count in the kingdom of God. The key, of course, is not the commands, but our response to them. That's what makes the difference because the commands are going to stand. They're going to, they're going to stand. God's ways are going to stand regardless of whether we follow or not. But our lives will be different depending on our response. You know, in this account, God commands both Elijah, who's his prophet, and this unnamed Gentile widow who's commanded to provide for Elijah, Jew and Gentile, all included, and he gave commands to both of them. Now, this widow was a woman who had lost her husband. She was in a place where the provision for her household was really uncertain, and yet she had been commanded by God to provide, and that word provide is a word, a, a, a um, Hebrew word that says cool, which is to measure out a provision of food. To measure out a provision of food. She was a Gentile. She wasn't from the nation of Israel. But she recognised that the God of Elijah had something to do with her not having any bread. Because she said, as the Lord your God lives, I don't have any bread. I only have this little bit of this little bit of um, oil and and flour. She knew of God's Elijah's God standing against Baal, and she could see who was prevailing, because there had been no rain, and therefore there were no crops, and so food was running short. You know, when I first read that scripture, something inside me kind of says, you know. It just doesn't seem fair. Like it just—it doesn't seem fair, you know. God has stopped the rain. This dear lady who's there with her son has just says she's got this last bit of flour and oil, um, and even that's wanted. 
you know, God even wants to, to take that. And I really realise there's such a danger in relying on my own understanding and on my own reaction to what God does because we can miss the opportunity that God wants to take to show himself strong and to actually include this Gentile widow with her last meal in kingdom life. So the second thing that has to happen, firstly, they're not excluded. So we've got Elijah and the widow now here. And he says, please, um, she says, I've only got this little bit of food. I really can't give you anything. In verses 13 and 14, we go on. Elijah said to her, do not fear. Go and do as you have said, but make me a small cake from it first and bring it to me and afterward make some for yourself and your son. For thus says the Lord God of Israel, the bin of flour shall not be used up, nor shall the jar of oil run dry until the day the Lord sends rain on the earth. Fear. Don't be afraid, Elijah says. You know, fear is a really strong, unpleasant feeling and a, and a physiological response that we generally don't like. It's usually elicited by danger or the expectation that something bad's going to happen. We see what the woman thought was going to happen or what was not going to happen. This was their last meal and then they were going to die. And that left her with no hope and resigned to the present reality for her and her son. How did Elijah know that she was experiencing fear? Well, he was a prophet, so he might have had a word of knowledge, but that isn't what scripture says. You know, it might have been something really practical, something that probably we would recognise in ourselves if we stopped and listen to ourselves, because the clue to fear, Elijah knowing that she was as afraid, is a little word called only. I only have. I only have a little bit of flour and oil. And when I saw that, I just, I stopped to think, how often do I say that, and what happens when I say it? There's usually fear involved. I only have this, which means to me that I don't think I have enough, certainly not enough to share, and I'm facing the fact that, that the possibility that there's not going to be enough. I only, I only have this amount of time. You can't really expect me to give more. I only have this amount of finance. There's only so much I can give. I only have this amount of energy. You're asking too much of me. You know, God was asking her to take some of the little that she had and to give it to him first. To give it to him first. He didn't take it all. He didn't take it all. He said, go and do, go and do as you've said. Go make the cake, but make a cake for me first. And then make one for yourself and your son. God asked her to give it to him first so that he could provide for Elijah. 
and God gave an amazing promise of provision. Elijah said, you know, the Lord God of Israel says, your bin of flour is never going to run out. Your jar of oil is never going to run out. But it was conditional. It was unconditional that she would first give to God. That she would first be obedient to God. You know, what, what, what are our onlys? You know, if we listen to ourselves, to our speech or our thoughts, those are good things to take to God because they can be a good indication that we are in a place of fear. And the way to overcome fear is to receive God's perfect love. God's the best one in dealing with fear. You know, our tithes and offerings are a great example of the same opportunity that God gave the widow. He says, give to me first. Give to me first and then go do what you need to do with the rest. How would we have responded? What would we have done? You know, would we have been faithful and obedient to the course that the Lord had set in the face of apparent loss and deprivation? Because remember, her God wasn't Yahweh. That was Elijah's God. She hadn't yet come into a personal relationship with, it, with this God. So she was having to go on what Elijah had said. But God knows how to care. And we'll never know that unless we respond in obedience and allow his perfect love to cast out fear. I'm trying to think how many years ago it was. About 30, 32 years ago. Um, my husband and I built a house, the first house, our first house. And, um, and then God asked us to sell it, which is okay. We, we sold the house. And then we were to give the proceeds of that house to a variety of people. It was in 1987. Uh, 1986 we sold the house. In 1987 there was a considerable financial crisis and some really good friends of ours um, needed money to help them through. And so God decided that the proceeds from our house were to be used for that purpose. And um, I remember standing in the hallway of my father-in-law's home, which is where um, God gave made provision for us to, to live, um, and I was standing in the hallway of 30 Kirby Street, Glendine, in Auckland. And God clearly said to me, I will give you a house. I will give you a house. And for the next 22 years, we lived in lots of houses. We lived in houses in New Zealand. We lived in houses in Singapore. We lived in houses in... Um, different places in Uganda. We lived in houses in Zimbabwe. But none of them were my house. God provided. He gave me shelter. And I had that word. And I never doubted that he would give me my house, but I did wonder sometimes how long it was going to take and whether I was actually waiting for that mansion in heaven. Um, 
22 years later, God organised circumstances for us by which he gave me a house. He gave us a house. You know, sometimes we have to be prepared to wait. You know, in this story of Elijah and the widow, the results were immediate. God's provision was immediate for Elijah. God's provision for the widow was immediate and ongoing. But sometimes God gives us a word that isn't immediate. Sometimes we go through the Hebrews 11 journey. We've heard from God. And we have to wait. We have to be patient. You know, when we looked in there in, in uh, 1 Timothy chapter 6, you know, patience was one of those things and endurance was one of, were those, some of those things that we needed to develop in our lives. Well, you don't develop patience and endurance if you get everything straight away. <laughs> you actually develop it in the waiting. You actually develop it in continuing to believe God that what he said he will do and that was really what this woman had to do. She had to believe what God had said. And so in 1 Kings 17 and verse 15 it said, So she went away and did according to the word of Elijah. I love some of these verses. It sets up the scenario and then it's just, so Elijah went. Now the woman went. Um, she responded with faith. You know, faith that came from hearing the word of God. Elijah had made it very clear that the word of God had made this promise to her. And there was power in that word. There was power imparted to carry out that word. That's grace imparted. And, you know, it is vital for us that we hear God for ourselves. We need to hear God from ourselves. We need to hear the word of the Lord to us. And we can have it in scripture. And there are lots and lots of things that can encourage us and direct us and guide us through scripture. But the word is a person. His name's Jesus. And he's alive. And he wants to engage with us personally. He wants to speak with us personally. He says, my sheep hear my voice. We need to hear his voice because it's based on what he says to us that faith comes. Faith comes by hearing the living word of God, hearing from Jesus. And then we go to Kings, uh, we're continuing on verse 15 and 16. So she did according to the word of Elijah and she... And he, that's Elijah, and her household ate for many days. The bin of flour was not used up, nor did the jar of oil run dry, according to the word of the Lord, which he spoke by Elijah. By overcoming her fear and by responding in faith, the widow and her household and Elijah got to see the faithfulness of God. God was faithful to his word. He did exactly what he said he would do. And that could have been the end of it. God could have then moved Elijah on to somewhere else and um, the woman had this provision. But that wasn't the end of the story for this widow because if you 
read for yourself the next verses, she endured another great trial of faith, and that was the death of her son. We're not going to look at that specifically. But after seeing God's provision, and after seeing God raise her son to life, we read in 1 Kings chapter 17 and verse 24, Then the woman said to Elijah, now by this I know that you are a man of God and that the word of the Lord in your mouth is the truth. It was no longer the word of your God. It was the word of the Lord, the word of Yahweh. She had been moved from her original position, which was looking at the God that was out there, to the Lord, to Yahweh. She'd had a personal revelation of who Yahweh was as he faithfully engaged with this Gentile widow. And isn't that a wonderful picture of the gospel? Just a wonderful picture of God's heart. It says in 1 Timothy chapter 2 and verse 4, Our Saviour God desires all men to be saved and to come to the knowledge of the truth. God is inclusive. No one, no one is outside his scope. He commanded a Baal-worshipping Gentile woman to perform his works that she might come to know him, not as Elijah's God, but as her Lord and God. And that came about because two people responded to the opportunities that God gave. You see, if... Elijah hadn't gone, then how would the widow have been able to provide for him if Elijah hadn't obeyed? And if the widow hadn't responded in faith, then the provision that God was making for Elijah through her wouldn't have happened. We don't know We don't know what effect our responding in faith and obedience is going to have. We don't know what effect it's going to have in the kingdom necessarily. Which makes it just so important that when we hear the voice of God and we hear what it is that he's saying to us, that like Elijah and like the woman, we have that simple little verse, so she went away and did it according to the word of the Lord. Elijah obeyed according to the word of the Lord. Because then God's will and purposes can be fulfilled and achieved. And, you know, as we draw this series of becoming rich to an end, I wonder if we could just take a few minutes to think about how are we personally responding to the opportunities that God's placing before us? How ready are we to obey him without argument, without questioning? Are our hands open towards God and others regarding, regarding finance and our material possessions about our time and our energy? We hope you've enjoyed listening to this podcast from Grace Life Church. For more information about us or any of our services, please visit our website at gracelife.com.
www.ruhrpodcast.com.au.